0: Okay, hi everybody, this is the revival of the Enantech podcast, episode 30, I'm Ian Cutter, your host, and we're at CES 2015, and it's been a hell of a show. And by we, I mean we've got almost everybody from Enantech here to talk about it. Uh, Editor-in-Chief Ryan Smith. Hey guys. Uh, Senior Editor, Jad Walton. Hello. Senior Editor, Joshua Ho. Hi everybody. Junior Editor, Brett House. Hello, I'm Junior. (laughs) And then generator Brandon Chester. Hello. So, CS has been whirlwind for us. I think we've clocked many, many miles on our feet. It's just amazing how busy this show can get. But there's a few things to talk about, guys, and we want to cover a lot of them. And I think let's start with the first big announcement um of the show, which is by Intel with Broadwell U. Broadwell U is the next mobile CPU from Intel. 5th Gen, 14 nanometer, uh, Gen 8 graphics, and the launch of some really interesting laptops. I mean, Jared, you've seen a few.
1: Yeah, the, I actually expected to see a lot more Broadwell U at the show. I was a little surprised. Like, I mean, some of the some of the smaller OEMs, the second-tier stuff, there was no Broadwell U at all or Broadwell at all, but uh, Dell had a few Broadwell laptops, um, so did... Uh, Lenovo, and I'm thinking that's about it. Oh, I guess in the Acer Chromebook 15 is also Broadwell U based. Sure, sure. Broadwell
0: U is there. There's going to be two chips coming to market. Uh, two sets of chips coming to market. The 15 watts and the 28 watts. And in 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 each segment, you've got i3, i5, i7, and there's a couple of Celeron and Pentiums in there. With the Gen 8 graphics varying from all the way down from 12 execution units, all the way up to 48, going from HD 5500, HD 6000, and Iris 6100. But the Iris products, Intel tell us that they're going to be out sort of more later in the quarter. But we also saw some interesting stuff from, say, Zotac in the mini PC space, and Intel with the Nooks. They're talking about the Broadwell use. And there's a lot of opportunity in the Broadwell U, but the big part of Broadwell U for me is looking at, despite the fact that it's the 14 nanometer jump, which we saw from Core M, is the generate Generation 8 graphics. Intel has changed the Generation 8 graphics a lot for the better, in ter- especially in terms of how they deal with their execution units. Pre- previously with Generation 7.5 and Haswell U, we had... 10 execution units per subslice, and this time they've moved to 8. This means that thread schedulers deal with less execution units, um, which relieves their thread pressure. We've got an increase of L3 cache per subslice. And there's just lots of interesting things going on. I mean, I'm not sure what you think about 8 Graphics, Ryan.
2: Oh, so yeah, 8 is interesting. So... Intel has been has been dedicating progressively larger amounts of die space to graphics over the years. The CPUs as a percentage get smaller, graphics get larger, gets invested in cash, execution units, etc. Intel recognizes how important graphics are, it just takes them a while to get to the point where they can deliver all the necessary performance because they can only add so much graphics per generation. So 14 nanometer is really cool because we've just had a die shrink, It's the process is looking really good. CPU cores got even smaller, so that gives Intel more space to put on graphics. And so Gen 8, uh, Gen 8 in terms of features, is not too much different from Gen uh, 7.5 for graphics. However, Gen 8 does have one really interesting feature that it, it's going to be a long-term payoff, and that is it has full support for OpenCL 2.0. Uh, OpenCL 2.0 adds support for uh, sharing pointers between the GPU and the CPU. This is the basis for engaging in heterogeneous uh, compute, utilizing both the CPU and the GPU and passing around data. Now, we're really just scratching the surface here. It's not necessarily everything you need to do, say, uh, the AMD-backed heterogeneous system architecture, but it's the groundwork you need to have heterogeneous compute in the Intel ecosystem. So Intel, in a few years... When Broadwell is not just new, but it's a few years behind us, developers can start targeting heterogeneous applications, making use of the basic features, more advanced features over later generations. Baseline computers will have this functionality.
0: It offers a lot of potential in the computer space. I mean, similar to what AMD have done on the APU side.
2: Very much so. Yes.
0: It it. It enables these features. Intel tell us that these are still contingent on a driver update come, due to come later in the month, and the devices themselves should come on the shelf within the month in terms of the 15 watt parts and within the quarter for the 28 watt parts. But it's it's a really exciting time to see 14 nanometer. Yes, it was delayed, and we all understand that 14 nanometer is an expensive and complicated process, the way Intel have done it, but it's come to market and it's going to be here for a little while. I'm looking forward to seeing it in our offices, in our home labs and getting it tested. And uh we can get Jared and Brett on it as soon as we can. It's going to be awesome. And Ganesh with some mini PCs.
1: Any, what about uh, Cherry Trail? Ch- Ch- Cherry Trail was
0: an interesting announcement. So this is the uh, next generation Atom core. Um in the in the Braswell ecosystem, again featuring Gen 8 graphics, um, but unfortunately that's as much as Intel told told yeah. anybody.
1: But it's on the 14 nanometer node, which is kind of impressive. This is like really pushed up the the Atom sure, ecosystem. Sure, sure. So.
0: At- 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 Atom had that jump where the Atom ego- the Atom ecosystem was stagnant for five years, yeah. and then Bay brought it more into line with the core architecture in terms of the essentially the TikTok element that there is in the core. But this comes now to Atom with Gen 8. We, we've been hearing a lot of people predicting when Cherry Trail will be coming to market. At the minute, Intel is just telling us uh, they're shipping tablet parts to their partners for production. But obviously, they're waiting for their partners to tell us what they're working on. So we'll 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 wait for that with bated breath. We've had a few interesting meetings revolving around Cherry Trail, which we can't talk about yet, but you'll see it on the website and talk about it in the near future.
2: Yeah, it's very similar to the Quorum launch. Intel's basically announcing the part when it ships to partners for various legal and accounting reasons, but the actual parts won't show up until their customers, the OEMs, have a chance to actually integrate it and ship products. So we we
0: suspect that everything that you currently see we, with Bay Trail, you probably see something very similar with Cherry Trail and the performance enhancement that that brings.
2: Yeah, so one to two quarters.
0: Yeah, yeah, we, de- we should definitely see um, announced products within a quarter or two. Now, another element of uh, CES 2015, big announcement, is AMD's FreeSync. So, uh, so adapt, uh adaptive screen technology on okay. AMD. Uh, who wants to take this one?
2: I'll take this. Yes. So AMD originally announced the FreeSync concept at CES 2014. At the time, what they had done is a very quick and hacked-up demo using a panel self-refresh in some laptops. Uh, panel self-refresh was basically, uh, it's sort of all in the name right there, a very basic ability for a panel to buffer and redisplay a frame as necessary for certain power-saving measures. But this uh, technology would also be the means to have uh, adaptive frame rates. Now, uh, it was very much a response by AMD for NVIDIA's G-Sync technology. However, whereas uh, G-Sync would be uh, limited to NVIDIA parts, FreeSync is royalty-free implementation that AMD has pioneered based on uh, what has now been uh, canonized as uh, DisplayPort's uh, Sync technology. And so while AMD is the only company that's currently supporting FreeSync, in theory the door is open to anybody else uh, supporting the technology as well should they decide to join. So last year of course AMD showed it off. It, it was a real rough demo. It showed what was that it could be done, but it wasn't anywhere near shipping, anywhere near found product. So this year was all about showing all the work on Freesync is done. The monitors are ready and going into production. The drivers are there. The demos to prove that it'll work are there, and it's great. If you've seen G-Sync, then you know what to expect with FreeSync. If not, basic background. You have uh, the ability to refresh the monitor in time with new frames, as opposed to a fixed rate of usually 60Hz for desktop monitors. And the benefit of this being, if you have game frame rates that are above or below 60 hertz, uh generally below, then you don't have to settle either... The uneven frame rates that come from enabling vSync or the screen tearing that comes if you leave vSync disabled. And so we had a chance to see FreeSync in action firsthand. AMD had several demos set up with various video cards on monitors from partners such as BenQ and Samsung. And everything worked exactly as it should. Frame rates adapted with changing, with, uh, monitors adapted with changing frame rates. Uh, various games worked. It, it were exactly what it was supposed to do, it did. So this is the demo AMD needed to show to the world that their
1: FreeSync technology was working and they could fully deliver on it. So one of the interesting things about FreeSync and G-Sync is some people have been complaining like, hey, well, when you get down to 30 hertz, you start getting this flicker, and it's basically inherent in the LCD or the technology. You know, your pixels start to go dim. So AMD said at least... That their partners could potentially set a lower bound of 40 hertz in order to avoid the flicker. Um, that'd be kind of up to them. I I would assume Nvidia could do the same thing as well, but you know, it's it's kind of inherent into the, in the refresh technology that if you refresh too infrequently, you get that flicker. So to me, that was kind of always a given. But some people have kind of made a big deal of, of that, and not really a problem in my book. You just got to stay above 40.
2: Yeah, it depends on the monitor technology. It depends on the content. You know, it's good to see AMD addressing it, and that really is the only solution. You have to set a uh, minimum refresh time that's quick enough that you don't let your pixels decay too much. At least so long as we're using LCD technology, it's simply something you deal with. But it, 30 hz or 30 hertz, 40 hertz shouldn't make a big difference for most use cases. So either way, you get the benefits of the technology.
0: So in terms of the show, I was with you two guys when we met with AMD and they had some FreeSync demos at the booth. I managed to break one.
2: Oh, did you?
3: Yeah,
0: I, I did. And, uh, uh the screen kind of went green. It probably should have gone red. <laughs> um, but it, 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 they got it working again. They just said, you know, it's at this, at this stage of the development on the driver side. It needed, it still needed a few exact tweaks. But yeah, I've seen FreeSync. I've seen G-Sync. It's, if, if somebody told me a monitor has adaptive refresh rate, I wouldn't be able to tell what's in it without asking what the GPU is as well. Did did, did you guys hear anything about time to market with these panels?
2: Yes. AMD is, is hoping to have up to 11 panels uh, ready, or up to 11 monitors ready by the end of this quarter. Uh, 11 is the optimistic projection, but the three monitors they were showing were clearly already ready for consumer use. So you're looking at at least several monitors on store shelves by the end of
1: March. And, and, they, and they did have three different types of monitors. So the Samsung was a 4K P60. Um, they had a BenQ that was a QHD up to 144 Hertz. And then they had an LG that was the ultra wide, uh, 2560 by 1080 that was, uh, I'm not sure if that was 60 Hertz. No, it was 85 or 75 Hertz. Yes, that sounds right. 75 Hertz? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, uh, based on the fact that the technology doesn't need an add-in card should be very price competitive.
1: Yeah, they showed they showed Lego Batman or Lego something running free with the LG off of a off of a Kaveri APU. So, you know, they have it on R9 two eighty five was one of the systems, R9 two ninety X was a system. So they demonstrated on three different GPUs to show that, hey, it's not just like Tonga or newer GPUs. It was also yeah, on Kaveri. Yeah, No,
2: it does need to be GCN 1.1 or newer GPUs. So we're talking AMD's latest uh, uh, Puma parts, Kaveri, and then the Radeon 260 series, the 290 series, and the 285. So the first generation GCN parts can't take full advantage of it, but any of those newer parts can. And Ian, you quickly brought up a point about uh price of the monitors. It's, it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. It does require some circuitry. We haven't had a chance to fully uh, talk to AMD about it. You do need some circuitry, however, to handle the uh, self-refresh portion of it. Yeah. So hopefully we should have some f- full details on that once we actually get these monitors in for review. But It's a gaming feature. It's going to be something that's going to carry a price premium. That's what motivates these monitor manufacturers to include it. So... It won't be super cheap, but hopefully it won't be too expensive here either, especially with so many monitors being lined up.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. I mean, I'm always interested in new monitor technology. If anybody puts checks my Twitter, I'm always talking about how cheap the 4Ks are in the UK. But in terms of AMD, at our meeting, we also saw a Carrizo-based laptop. So Carrizo is the next-generation APU for laptops sort of in that sort of 15, 28-watt band.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't remember what AMD said exactly. This was early Silicon, I remember them saying, so they haven't had it for too long, but they did have it running on three different systems. Uh, they had a laptop prototype that was just at the Windows desktop. We poked around it a bit. Another one had an engineering, bar- engineering board, so basically uh, a giant board that's using a laptop chip, but uh, that was running Lego Batman. Yeah. And then they had a third system playing back H.265 4K content. Yeah, they basically said we asked Q2 or Q3 launch, and they said yes.
0: Yeah, standard standard
1: answer, I guess. So it's sometime in the sometime in the next couple of quarters we should see it. Oh,
0: we should see more definitely more information right. about it.
1: And then on the technology side,
2: this will basically be the last of the bulldozers before AMD moves on to their Zen uh, product. It's it. Excavator core, if yeah, I last of the correct. bulldozer family, yeah. and then on the GPU side, uh, given AMD's development schedule, GCN 1.2 from Tong is a shoe in.
0: Yeah, so boost with the graphics as well. That's what we want yeah, to see. And AMD
2: is always uh, memory bandwidth bound in these parts. They push high graphics, uh, so they always need more memory bandwidth. So the memory bandwidth compression technology from GCN 1.2 should be a very important boost for what they want to do. Next
0: part of the week, it's been a long week, but we still remember back to the beginning. Both Ryan and I were at the ASUS press conference with ASUS Chairman Johnny Shee, who puts on a hell of a show
2: every time. He, he's up on stage. He is a showman. He does. He enjoys every second of it, and it's different from just about any other show you're going to see. Here. The crowd, the crowd always love him,
0: and it's it's painfully obvious when he shows up that it's going to be a good it's going to be a good release. And uh, this time ta- this year, they released uh, a CES. Two smartphones, which particularly caught my eye, the Zenfone Two and the Zenfone Zoom. We haven't had much hands-on time with them, but the Zenfone Two is is a Bay Trail, dual sim, five point five inch phone featuring four gigam four gigabytes of RAM, for an off contract price of two hundred,
2: which sounds insane. Oh, it yeah. pretty much is insane. They're going for that uh, mid range market very hard, and uh, they've had a lot of success with the original Zenfone. Uh, it was spread over several sizes. Uh, They've consolidated down to one size now, but you know, they've sold several million units of this phone over the uh, past year.
0: Yeah. They, they, yeah, I remember them putting a lot of high quarter numbers up comparing last, uh, two years ago to last year. And the Zenphone Zoom is, is, is a camera with three times optical zoom. Correct. Inside. I, uh, to be honest, I can't remember much of the specs. On side, but it was it was pretty much yes. almost equivalent to the Zenfone Two. Yeah, it's
2: basically Zenfone Two with a, uh with a point and shoot uh, optical uh, camera system.
0: Yeah, I mean I'm not sure what a smartphone guy saw because obviously. Yeah. Yes. So, so
3: um, I guess my main concern with the the sort of the Zenfone Zoom is whenever you go to optical zoom, right? We've already seen this before, you know, with the Galaxy camera, with the Galaxy Zoom is you often sacrifice your aperture right and sort of you you end up losing sensitivity compared to a fixed system and I'm not sure if that's really going to be worth the trade off it'll be interesting to see for sure
4: yeah um the the ZenFone 2 what interests me is that they you know they moved to 4 gigs of ram I guess they're probably the first to have done this in mobile and I don't know what their motivation is behind it I mean obviously you know more RAM is better, but there obviously is, you know, additional power consumption when you move to greater amounts of RAM. So I'm not sure if we've really hit that that wall where devs are running into trouble with uh, phones that have two or three gigs of RAM in them, but, you know, more is um, always good to have. A lot of people that I've talked to, they're kind of concerned when they hear about Intel-based Android phones, and, you know... They're not sure whether or not, you know, their applications are going to work. But from what I've, um, heard, you know, Ganesh had the, the razor eye and he said that most applications, as long as they're not made using like the NDK, they will typically work, um, on these Intel based phones. So I don't think that's anything someone should be concerned about, uh, if they're looking at the Zen phone too. Yeah. And obviously Intel puts a
2: lot of effort into taking care of that. They have their own lab, uh, basically putting together compatibility shims for whatever libraries and other pieces of native ARM code. An application may come with so popular applications generally get fixed by Intel in some form or another.
0: At, at, at the Asus launch, they also had uh, their range of Broadwell U cheese.
2: Uh, it's it's interesting, you know they it crosses the line between an ultrabook and a tablet. At the top end, you have the Chi T three hundred, and this is basically a twelve point five inch ultrabook that can have its screen detached to be used like a tablet. To be honest, I expect most people to use it like an Ultrabook, and that's fine, because it's the way it's built, uh, at least as far as we've tried it, it still makes a good Ultrabook. And then you have the GT uh, T100 and T90, and these really are more Windows 8.1 tablets with an attachable keyboard. We're talking 9 inches and 8 inches, respectively, so smaller than any regular Ultrabook you would see, but they, uh, they fill an interesting role. I mean... The T300 is priced like a cheaper Ultrabook, whereas the T100 and T90 are priced like tablets. And you also have a difference in hardware as well. T300 is based on core, whereas T100 and T90 are based on Atom.
1: So do they put an extra battery in the keyboard, or is it just a keyboard?
2: As far as we know, it's just a keyboard with a counterweight in it to keep the monitor
1: from causing the whole thing to tip over. So Toshiba had one of their business laptops that's basically like the t three hundred was a twelve point five inch display. They had an extra battery in it, but that one was running Broadwell y core M so that was kind of interesting.
4: We'll have to see how they compare so i'm I'm glad that asus uh you know released the the t three hundred because when we did our best tablets thing when we were looking and trying to find a, a convertible Windows tablet. Um, everything was still a Bay Trail part and all we could really say is, you know, just wait a little bit because there's going to be Broadwell stuff coming up. So I'm glad that, uh, that we saw that.
0: So it sounds like we're going to have to update that article <laughs> soon when, when we can get some products into review. Whenever Asus announce this sort of stuff, they're usually quick to market. So, um, we'll get on to that for them for review samples soon. In terms of that laptop space, a pretty, Extraordinary announcement was from MSI with, with their Titan SLI. Yeah. What was it
1: called? (laughs) The G80 Titan. So MSI has their G, the GT80 Titan. So they have their GT series as their gaming, full-on gaming Mm -hmm. notebooks. They've had the, in the past, the GT60, GT70. Um, they're basically, I think they're phasing out the GT70 over the coming year and the GT72 has taken over. At the top, they've now added an SLI GT80, and it's a monster. I mean, it's as huge as you would expect for an 18.4 inch display, but it also has two GTX 980M graphics cards in there. Um, they've shifted the keyboard forward, and they use Cherry MX fully mechanical keyboard on it. That's Browns,
0: so,
5: right?
1: Yeah. They, I believe they said they will do Browns and Another switch type as an alternative. I can't yeah. remember if it was Reds. I think. Yeah,
0: yeah. It, it sounds like it would be, but the the top tu- the uh, keypad was also the mouse pad.
1: On yeah, the side. on the right. Yeah. So that was kind of interesting. That's kind of like Razor, the Razor Blade Seven Pro or Razor Blade Pro, where they had that touchpad. It's not totally configurable like the Razor Blade was, but you can either use it as a touchpad or t- press the top left corner to turn it into your. Number keypad. Um, it's not going to be great for a ten key typists, but uh, but it's fine to have your touchpad over there. And I think most gamers they're just going to plug in a mouse anyway.
0: Sure, but the, 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 this device. I mean, I was there. It was uh, three inches thick. It was. I,
1: I didn't measure, but it's it's pretty thick. It's well over two inches. I think they said it weighed just Ooh. over ten pounds, and yeah. the battery pack is I think three fifty watts. Three
0: hundred and fifty watts, and I picked that thing up and.
1: It probably almost
0: weighs as much as the laptop. It's crazy. I,
1: it still seems like it might be a little bit smaller than some of the old Clevos we've seen, like the, the D, D900F. That thing had a... Did it have a 400-watt battery? Or AC adapter, I think? that was huge. But this is still a very big notebook. It's um, it's,
0: it's coming to the limits of where desktop replacement type stuff. But as a gaming system, right? And yeah. This is MSI's angle. They're all in with the gaming
1: yeah, if you're, if you're a gamer that regularly attends LAN parties and you want the absolute fastest Mobile gaming system, notebook, right? Yeah. This is the way to go. The one, the one interesting kind of drawback right now is, so the 4K, 3K displays have really been pushed into the lower, um, screen sizes first because that's where tablets were going and that's where more People were buying laptops, you know, Apple's obviously in the 15.6-inch range with the MacBook Pro 15 Retina. And so the 17.3-inch still doesn't have anything above 1080p that I'm aware of. It might come this year. The 18.4-inch is, yeah, there's there's nothing above 1080p for them. So it's still a 1080p display, even though this is the one notebook that could legitimately drive at least 3K content, if not 4K, in games
0: this was one of the two devices they were pushing really hard and the other one was the gs30
1: yeah the gs30 shadow shadow and that one um that's their 13 inch and it's it's not really a gaming notebook on its own it's a gaming lap or it's a laptop that uses um intel's iris chips so crystalwell um the current version is haswell based so uh the the iris pro 5200 yep and, uh, it's got a 13.3 inch, um, I believe it was high DPI or, or 2560. Or 1080p. It? it was 1080p. And, uh, the, the big seller here on this, so you've got this laptop, you can take it and do anything you might do with a regular laptop. And then similar to Alienware's graphics amplifier, MSI has created a dock for this thing. And unlike their old external GPU dock that they sort of Previewed. The, the GUS. Kind of yeah, the GUS. This thing sits, sits on top. You set your laptop in, it docks. It gets a full by 16 PCIe 3.0 connection to the, to the graphics adapter bay. And you've got USB, Ethernet, an additional 3.5 inch hard drive bay or solid state drive bay. And then they've got the full PCIe 3 E3 Which, su- which slot. supports
0: up to a Titan Z. Yeah, Titan it supports Z.
1: everything up to Titan Z. So you can throw any, any single graphics card in there. And I mean, that's a, that's an insane amount of power. And because, like, AlienWare's 13, it has this external dock, but the AlienWare 13 has a, um, Haswell U processor. So it's a low, ultra low voltage processor. Whereas the, the CrystalWell parts are going to be higher performance. So you won't Sh- run into sure. CPU bottlenecks.
0: Sure, 47 watts, but it's got that level four E D RAM cache. Yeah. So not only is the graphics performance on its own gonna be good, so that you can put it into a dock and have Titan level performance. Yeah.
1: So the one drawback of course is right now at least the display on the laptop is shut off. <laughs> so you actually have to use the dock with an external display and basically keyboard and mouse as well because your laptop's sitting on top of this big box. Which isn't a problem if you're Really using it as a dock, but if you wanted to, like, just boost the graphics performance for the laptop and use your integrated display, that's not happening right now. It could change in the future with yeah. a, with, with, a, with a new SKU. Yeah, they would need to revamp some things.
0: Sure. On the MSI side, also we saw motherboards with USB 3.1. They showed me X99 boards with uh, featuring Asmedia USB 3.1 chips, and they had a dual a RAID storage device connected to this, scoring well over 650-700 megabytes a second storage rate, so breaking the SATA, SATA 3 storage. They wouldn't show us what was directly connected to USB 3.1, they had it under a box, it was under wraps, asked them to take the wraps off and they said no, but this is showing that USB 3.1 is coming to the desktop side relatively soon, I I believe they said within the quarter. They say they show Type-A, which is a standard USB connector. They show Type-C, which is a reversible connector. And Type-C is the important one, especially when it comes to um, laptops and notebooks. That's the one we're going to see. The issue that the laptop manufacturers and the motherboard manufacturers have right now is USB 3.1 is still an external controller solution that requires two PCIe PCIe 3.0 lanes. So we have to, we're going to have to wait at least a year, if not maybe two, for it to be integrated into the chipsets, both on the desktop side and the laptop side, for it to become fully native. But USB 3.1 is coming. The 100 watt power charging is still being discussed. In order to support 100 watts, you have to support the additional power circuitry, which is expensive. So at this current point, the motherboards that MSI were showing did not do 100 watt charging. But it's something that they're looking at in the future. On the laptop side, 100-watt charging probably won't be possible, unless you have an extra 100 watts in your power brick. But it's you can still do something like 20 watts, just stand off the bat without the 100-watt capacity.
1: Yeah, and I think MSI actually had a GT72 that had, it was like a prototype where they would modified it, and they had a Type-C connector on it, or at okay. least a USB 3.1. They weren't really doing anything anything with it, but it was there.
0: Okay, just uh, so you're not sure whether it was a mock-up or a working demo. Right. Okay.
1: And I I also met with VESA, the standards people, and talked to them about some of the some of the upcoming stuff. And they they were talking about you know Type C connectors. I mean, the cool thing is you have that potential for power and data and even display to go over that single cable. Um, So I don't know. I don't know how much you'll do with. Laptops, but in theory, you could have a external display with a single cable connected to your laptop, and it would get your USB ports and your display, display and the power for the display. That's yeah. that's maybe taking it too that's, far. That's, that's the, the goal, ideal, yeah. but it'd be really cool because then you you know you have a standard open yeah you know, cable that can work with a, a you know single cable for it's, a display.
0: That, that that was the ultimate goal of Thunderbolt, of course. Yeah. Storage plus display plus daisy chaining.
1: But it didn't have power, right?
0: Right, right. Okay. Yeah. No, it was very we'll true. more. Yeah. Extra.
1: We're gonna Internally, keep... I was going to quick say, like, so, so USB, the original had, I believe, four wires, five wires, and then USB three moved to nine wires. And I believe Vesa said, anyone know, I think it was like an extra four or five more wires to do these extra power and video and whatnot. So yeah, you need extra power and ground. Yes, Three point one with the Type C connector is basically overbuilt at this point, uh,
2: so that they can have support for alternate modes and then uh, have uh, legroom for future expansion.
0: But USB three point one is coming. Yes. Yes, it's definitely on the horizon. We're going to stay with laptops, um, just because there were, and laptops and notebooks, because just because there were so many throughout the show. And one that really caught my eye was when we visited Lenovo and, uh, we know Brett saw this at the Lenovo booth, the Levy. So the Levy was, uh,
5: one of those laptops that kind of stuns you when you first pick it up. It's, uh, they have two models and the lightest one is 1.7 pounds and that's with Core. So, and not Core M.
0: And, uh... So so 1.7 pounds in metric is what, about 700 grams, less than the kilogram. It is, yes. You you feel like you're picking up an empty laptop. I'm sure, and this is the same
5: things that people said with the iPhone 5 launch. You pick it up and you feel like it's a mock-up. And yet, you press the keyboard and it comes on, and you can use it, and it has six or seven hours of battery life. And then they have a reversible one, too, with the yoga-style hinge. And it's two pounds, which is still ridiculously light. And somehow they squeezed a forty-four watt-hour battery in it. And it should, according to Lenovo, we haven't tested it yet. We'll get up to nine hours of battery life. And it also has Core i7 Broadwell U, so performance should be no problem, I would think. And uh, in addition, high DPI displays. So looks like a winner. Price is around fifteen hundred for the reversible one, and about thirteen hundred although it's not quite launched yet, so those may be subject to change. So that was the one laptop that I thought would steal the show. What
1: would you think of build quality on those?
5: They were, oh, and this is, uh, we're going to let Ian talk about this, but they're using a new alloy, magnesium
1: lithium?
0: Oh, yeah, 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 they said it's so, by replacing magnesium atoms in a standard magnesium metal structure, you replace it with lithium, which is a few further back in the periodic table um i'll I'll probably get corrected on the comments on this but magnesium is about be it's, it's beyond 7 and lithium's at 3 so you're reducing a whole lot of weight but you're still retaining the uh the stiffness that magnesium offers um but obviously lithium by itself is fairly reactive so i assume they've put some sort of film coating to reduce the re- reactivity i felt like i was picking up a paper bag this thing was insane i mean if I had a camera to see Ryan's, Ryan's face when he picked it up, it was the
2: moment of shock. It it seems too light. There, how can there be a computer in this? It seems too light. Well, we we said
0: to Lenovo, so the interesting thing would to be have a set of scales, put a MacBook Pro on one side, and just see how many levies you could stick on the other side. And I bet you it's three or four. Certainly, yeah.
5: Yeah, they claimed a 30% reduction in weight with their new alloy. And uh this is a, a joint venture with NEC that started in 2011. So this uh, laptop will be branded as an NEC in Japan, but worldwide it will be a
0: Lenovo brand.
5: So uh I think they have a winner there. But uh, hopefully we can get some to check them out.
0: Absolutely. So, I mean, we've been working with Lenovo recently, and so we need yeah, to get that product
5: in. They, they had quite a few other products. They had the uh, ThinkPad Yoga. Uh, it used to be just a 12.5 inch model, and now they've bumped up a 14 and a 15 inch model, and the 15 inch model has the Intel RealSense 3D camera, which a uh, few of the other vendors were displaying CS as well. The yoga, yoga line got quite expanded. The Yoga 3 Pro launched with Core M, and now the Yoga 3, which is the a little bit lower price version. They have a couple models of that, 11 and a 14, I believe, with Core, and the 11 is Core M. What else did Lenovo have? Boy, they had quite a they bit. They had the
1: whole ThinkPad line is basically updated with...
5: the oh, yeah, X1 U. Carbon, yeah. Oh, and they had their 100 millionth X1 Carbon, or ThinkPad, which happened to be an X1 Carbon, amazingly. EVE. EVE, yes, they've named it EVE, and I'm sure it was designed about six months in advance that it would be an X1 Carbon, as that's
1: pretty much their <laughs> flagship ThinkPad. So, yeah, lots of exciting stuff at Lenovo. And, of course, the big deal with the ThinkPads is, like, the last generation, they kind of took away the physical buttons for the pointing stick. Those are back, so all the people who they can now be happy again that Lenovo's gone back to the older design.
0: In, in terms of, again, more laptop releases, um, moving swiftly from Lenovo to Dell, Dell XPS 13, now I must admit I haven't kept up to date with this information, so you're going to have to fill me in.
1: Okay, so the XPS 13, uh, it's it basically, they've had an XPS 13. This is a new broadwell u model and the big deal on this one so they've got igzo displays the indium gallium zinc oxide so they let more light through with less power um it's high dpi 3200 by 1800 but the the real eye catcher on here i mean the display looked beautiful on its own but the bezel on the laptop was like what an eighth of an inch or certainly less than a quarter inch thick
5: yeah very small and dell's labeling it as an infinity display and it it was just stunning to see you walk around the corner. And it's a 13-inch screen in an 11-inch chassis. It's amazing. Yeah, they checked all the boxes there. I think we're going to have a
1: pretty nice laptop to check out. And in a similar note from Dell, they also had their Venue 8 7000, which basically they had, they called it an Infinity Display again. That
5: was a 8-inch uh, Android tablet with, uh, with Atom at the heart of it, so was an arm-based and yeah it had an infinity display it was 2560 by 1600 oled which uh, especially in the dark booth we were in really really shone because of the you know the insane blacks it just looked fantastic and the performance was excellent from what we saw out of it uh obviously it's not shipping it so we didn't have one to actually test but we did poke around it a bit and performance was really good i know jared uh Jared, Jared snuck a couple benchmarks on there.
1: I, I ran 3D Mark Unlimited, uh, I think the score was around 20,000 something. I may have posted a Twitter of that, I don't recall, but, um, it's not, it's not going to be the fastest 3D Mark Unlimited score we've seen, but it's certainly a, a big jump up from the previous generation of Intel Atom chips, um, in terms of 3D performance. So Intel's definitely moving up in that area. And, I mean, if, for a lot of things, you know, Graphics isn't the be-all, end-all, so, you know, it, it just has a beautiful display, and that alone is enough to sell it to a lot of people, I think.
5: Yeah, and, and staying with Dell for a moment, they, uh, of course had their Alienware line there too, and they had the graphics amplifier that we actually got to see finally. Uh, and they've also revamped the Alienware 15 and 17, is that correct? Yeah, actually the 15 is new, isn't it? Okay, so and they've they've kept the styling of the 13, so they're now going for the thinner, thinner, lighter. It looks nice. They, I mean, they they have a consistent styling with their Alienware line, and uh, that's something I've uh, really liked about Dell lately. They've really focused on keeping their styling consistent across their product lines, which is great.
1: I think something else worth mentioning, just in general, is a lot of the at least upper range laptops, anything over about a thousand dollars, seem to have finally. Mostly ditched TN panels, which I'm pleased. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's lots of IPS or AHVA or whatever, PLS. Um, and most of the, most of these good laptops that we saw were definitely not using TN panels. And so the, the end of TN, it feels a little closer, but I imagine the budget stuff will continue to be there for a long time. But it, it's good to see that at least, you know, the, the mid-range and above is, Mostly moving away from TN,
5: and also there's been a bit of a bit of a push to SSDs in a slightly lower price bracket, eight hundred dollars or so. Uh, I'd sure like to see SSDs in five hundred dollar laptops, even if they're small. Um, spinning hard drives are, are generally not what we what we prefer, especially than a non text. So um, it's nice to see. There's been a lot of people asking personally for recommendations on laptops and. I can't recommend something without an SSD and it's always over their budget. So perhaps 2016 will be the year that we get rid of the spinning disk in the average
0: laptop. That would be awesome. I don't want to change tack for a second. There's a lot of laptop talk. Um, but one of the highlights of my show was actually getting a chance to play with Oculus, the new, the next generation. What, what do they call it? Called? The
1: next. Crescent design. Bay. So this is the next. This is a prototype. Um, It's not yet released. So they have DevKit one, then DevKit two. Now it's it's eventually we'll make I assumed DevKit three or the retail model, but they're calling it Crescent Bay right now.
0: Right, and so my my previous experience of Oculus is worse than most (laughs) because every demo I seem to partake in seems to break within a minute. I'm not sure whether that's your aura. I I I don't know. It's uh, the the consistent element in that chain seems to be me, but. I finally got to have an Oculus demo where it worked, and you could see the depth. It felt that you could feel the depth there. Yeah. I mean, the, one of the big things they had was um, the audio. That, so the audio, what they call it? VR, VR audio. VR audio. So it's basically directional calculations of audio, so making sure that if it, it, if there is something happening three feet away at an angle, when you change your head, it changes the effect based on which direction your head is facing. So they, we, we, I mean, I tested it, Jared tested it, rat tested it, and the demos that they had, you could all hear the audio adjusting around. Um, the depth quality seems to have improved. Uh, um, I mean, you guys went into the technical details with the CEO.
1: Yeah, so there's a couple of changes. So DevKit 2 was a 1080p display, and of course you're basically doing not even half of the display but roughly half for each eye so essentially uh, uh what is that uh 9 it's just a half whatever Nine sixty yeah. by by 1080 but um so you could definitely see some pixelation and such with devkit 2 and now they've bumped up the resolution they wouldn't say how much but it's it's I, I can't imagine it's anything other than twenty-five sixty by fourteen forty display. But it definitely helps remove the pixels more. They're still a little bit visible with the magnifying glasses, but um it looked really nice. And um the other change they said was DevKit 2, they had um a minimum persistence of of basically basically they if they show the image on the the OLED too long. They would get some, uh, some bleed over between frames. And so they discovered that they need to black the frames in between. So they'd show the image for two milliseconds, then black the, black the OLED and then, uh, and then show the next frame. They went from doing that 75 Hertz with the DevKit 2 to doing that at 90 Hertz with this, um, Crescent Bay. So, I mean, it, it was really impressive. It definitely was improved from the DevKit 2. They are not, however, giving any real information on availability at this point so um you know it's it's getting closer to release but i don't know that we'll see it this year we'll just have to kind of wait and see there's definitely a lot of software and even other interface type stuff that needs to be worked on
0: sure but they... it's
1: still in a, i mean it's the best demo of vr that i've seen the only the only issue is it, it still feels a little gimmicky right right it's, it's it's
0: when you look down you don't see feet yeah. <laughs> for example, that, that, that was my thing. One of the demos that they had, you were essentially standing on a, a big cityscape and you, you were at the edge and you could look over and obviously you'd see down. And it felt like you were, you know, 500 feet up. Um, but the fact that my feet weren't there kind of took me out of that experience. Another thing for me is, it seems that Oculus are waiting on the resolution increase. Um, because on certain, certain parts of the demo I felt the perceived resolution was perhaps lower than it could have been. I mean, what exa- What is the resolution of reality? Nobody, no, nobody yeah. really wants to put a a number on that. But when you look at a screen, you know, it it felt like I was looking at a 720p screen, kind of close up. Um, so I think the 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 CEO, he said, he kind of said, you know, we're waiting for when we can get 4K per eye, 8K per eye, when we can really increase. The pixels per inch up.
1: And then all you need is a graphics card that can drive that. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ryan, when's the 8K graphics card capacity coming? <laughs> Sooner than you think.
0: Yeah, let, 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 let's hope on that front. But Brett, do you have anything to add on the Oculus front? You had to go.
5: Yeah, it was uh, my first time with Oculus, and it was very interesting for sure. The cityscape was why I enjoyed it and they also had a great T-Rex demo where he, you're going to get eaten by a T-Rex, and you just keep telling yourself in your head, this isn't real. Don't worry. I don't have to move. I don't have yeah, to move. I don't have to move. And then he move. spits on you. And then he spits on you. Yes. So <laughs> it was uh, certainly entertaining. Uh, I think they, yeah, clearly have a little bit of work to do still. Uh, but I don't think money is going to be the problem. So I think they'll get it all sorted out. Um, I can see a lot of applications other than gaming for it. Um, the T-Rex just instantly made me think about, you know, schoolwork, that kind of thing. Let kids see. Things that they, you know, normally wouldn't be able to see. So, I don't think it's just gaming. Uh, we, we kind of focus on that because it's what we like. But, there's definitely some applications there. Um, the head tracking was great. I never felt like when I was staring at something, if I turned my head, it shifted at all. It was, it was very smooth. Did you?
0: Yeah, it's, um, it relied on, obviously, an external sensor for the head tracking. And there are a couple of times, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm not the, um, a short guy, I'm not the tallest in the world, and every so often I'd move and there'd be sort of like a frame skip based on the tracking just not being 100%. But that, that's just part of the development cycle, um, as we all know. In terms of what I want to see at the end of it is I want to see something nice that, you know, Oculus can deliver. Oculus want to go straight in at the high end. So, I, I, I know, my, my gut feeling is that's going to be about two grand. That two thousand. Yeah, that's kind of. I think so too. But they did mention
1: they want to license
0: their technology.
5: To Are you have saying two
1: grand for the system to power it, or what
0: do you? No, no, two grand just for the headset.
1: Oh, I was expecting them to be targeting a much lower price. Like the original, the original Kickstarter was three hundred. Yeah, but we've they, moved a long way. Right, so yeah. DevKit Dev Two, they said was like three fifty. Um, I asked them, and I mean, obviously they're not finally finalizing on any pricing, but. To me, it sounded like they're really hoping to keep it well under a thousand. Well, it's, so well, hoping and successfully
0: doing so, we'll have to see. Well, so so they say high end, but they say they also want 4K and 8K panels. Right. So that is, if they want to be at the forefront of that technology edge, um, that's going to be the case. But it also has to release with a triple A game, right? Yeah, because there has to be the content there that can take advantage of it, but also the promise of future development. I mean, in terms of some of the AMD Mantle stuff, that's while that's been AMD Mantle itself, you know, it had games at release and it's slowly been moving forwards, the level of content still needs to ramp up. And I think Oculus will have that, may have that problem to begin with, but the fact that they've already got a very in-depth development community will help on that front. With Mantle, it was a case of you had to work really closely with AMD at the beginning. So... um, Hopefully, that will be one of their big pluses in execution. And again, yeah, funding should not be that important. Moving on from Oculus, um, Microsoft Lumia. Yeah, so um, I
5: got to uh, meet with the head of Lumia Imaging last night, actually, and uh, he showed off the new denim update to the Lumia camera app. So Nokia and now Microsoft has consistently provided a great camera application and a great camera experience. That's kind of been the focal point. Uh, Windows Phone has its detractors, as I know. As a fan of the platform, I hear them all the time. However, the camera has always been great. Um, it's always been a bit slow, though. So one of the things that they updated was to make it extremely fast. So uh turning on the camera now takes less than a second. It's almost instant, uh, compared to about four seconds before, which was quite a delay when he wanted to get Pocket to Picture. Um, they've increased their uh signal processing algorithms to give a sharper image quality. They had some uh side by side demos with the previous which was already pretty good and it was a clear difference. Um obviously that's their demos so and I don't have an old version to test it with anymore, so we'll have to take their word for it. We did get a quick chance today to compare it to the Sony camera and uh seemed to come out ahead, but we haven't had the Sony in for review either so Another cool thing, they finally added HDR, which is something that they've never had, which is strange since everybody's had it for years. Um, But they have a dynamic HDR that you can adjust after the fact, which is kind of a neat implementation. It gives you some control. Maybe you just want a little bit of the HDR shadows to to go away. Probably the coolest thing was the dynamic flash, though. So uh, the camera takes two photos, one with the flash and one without. And then after the fact, you can adjust how much flash you want. On the, on the picture with a slider. So maybe you just need a little bit of flash to brighten up the shadows, or maybe you, you need full flash, but generally full flash on a smartphone blows out all the colors.
0: Uh, so we don't really like to use it. So, so that's the software implementation in basic interpolation. Yeah, so it, t- yeah, exactly. Um,
5: if you take a, a low light photo with the flash on and off, you can tell on the, how much green there is on the, uh, on the dark, on the dark photo. And as you move the slider up, the, the graining goes away almost instantly because it can pull the data from the other photo and uh, fill in all the gaps. So it's it's pretty slick implementation. They did a great job with it. Um, it also does 4K video now, finally. Uh, and unfortunately, that's only going to come to the Snapdragon 800 series because it needs the ISP on that chip. So uh, hopefully there'll be some updates to new phones that have enough ISP to run this new camera app in the future. But... Uh, I kind of poked them a few times, and they wouldn't really say about future cameras, so we'll just have to
0: wait on that one. That's great. Now I want to loop it back for our final point. Back, 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 back to the uh, beginning of the week. LG Flex Two. Um, you guys had a play with it. I was, I unfortunately haven't read
3: much about it, so give us your thoughts. Yeah. So the LG G Flex Two is, you know, for people that haven't really when I think about it, it's a refresh of the original G-Flex, right? And it also kind of serves as a mid-cycle refresh of the LG G3. And so what that means is they reduce the screen size on the G-Flex 2 from 6 inches to 5.5 inches, right? And they also, you know, sort of, instead of the G3, which has an LCD display, they have a plastic OLED display to enable that curved uh, design and the resolution does go down uh, due to the OLED technology, so it goes from Quad HD to 1080p, and we also see a new chipset, which is the Snapdragon 810, and... Now, that's the first shipping Snapdragon 810. Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, that's actually pretty interesting to see, uh... You know, we, we've, we've known for a while what Snapdragon 810 was going to be, but, you know, now we're finally starting to see shipping implementations. In practice, you know, the performance, I was actually really surprised. Um, I guess it's, you know, they, they, they had early, this was very early software, I think. There was a lot of testing, you know, and you could see a lot of sort of debug software. So I'm not sure if our observations on that can, especially performance, can really be final, you know. But I know there were a lot of there are a lot of stutters and a lot of lag. Did it? And, did it, Did they say how close this was to launch? Exactly. Um, so they, they LG representatives did say, you know, end of January they're going to be launching this in South Korea. So you know, we we've had cases where we get software that's just dramatically earlier in the dev cycle. You know, we're talking months before launch, but, you know, that's what they have on display.
0: Okay, so it's still time for at least a couple of iterations internally. Yes. And then another few more before it reaches North American and European markets.
3: Yes. I think, Brandon, you tried the Desire
4: Twenty Six, and I think we both agree that was noticeably smoother. So one thing to note is that, Although it's January, I don't think we checked the build, I don't think we were able to check the build date on the Flex 2. Yeah. But just because it's January doesn't mean the build that was on them is from January, you know, like this might have been quite an earlier build. But definitely when we tried the Desire 826, which was running, uh, I guess, running on a quad A53, or two sets of quad A53s, it was definitely a lot smoother, even though that was also, you know, pre-production software. As for the GFlex 2, um, I thought it was interesting that it definitely if to me it felt smaller in the hand than the G3 which you know has the same screen size. So I don't know how much of that is due to the curve, but it definitely um makes for some interesting ergonomics when you're using it like a phone, you know it kind of uh, fits well to the shape of your head. Um as for putting it in a pocket, I don't know how much the curve might make it a bit uh less comfortable than a, than a flatter device. I wasn't able to throw it in my pocket there for uh <laughs> Security reasons. But... Yeah, they're all attached. The alarms. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah.
4: Um, but it's definitely interesting. The self-healing thing is too. I mean, obviously we saw that on the original G Flex, but they had a demo with some um, you know, copper brushes, and you could re- like you could look at it and just see the scratches sort of, you know, disappearing after you scratched up the back of the phone. So. So Brandon, uh, uh, Brandon,
1: we're over there. Josh and I checking it out, or waiting to check it out. And this is after their press conference. And man, there's, there's guys just punishing the hell out of these things. There's guys just smashing them flat, and, and they stayed working, so they did say that they'd made the glass stronger on the G-Flex 3. But then one guy, he's got a video on it, and he's just like mashing it and bending it, then he flips it over to test the self, self-healing stuff, right? And he pulls out like a quarter or some coin, <laughs> and just like totally scratches the heck out of it, and I mean like, there's just a huge pile of, like, scratched-off debris <laughs> next to it. And he's, like, videoing it, and he's not even talking, but he's videoing it, and I'm like, yeah, it's not going to self-heal from yeah. that. So,
4: yeah, the LG definitely made it clear that it won't survive if you take, like, a screwdriver or a key to it. It's meant for, like, you know, you're in, it's in your pocket, maybe there's, like, some sand or you have, like, some change in there for a tiny bit, and then those little scratches will go away.
0: It won't survive fire, for example, yes, that yes. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah
3: and it, it, you know, they talked up sort of this circular design, and and it sort of looks like brushed metal, similar to the G three, but um, due to the constraints of the coating, it does end up glossy and it it does attract fingerprints. You know, definitely smudges a lot if you're if you're used to you know sort of the Galaxy S four and sort of a lot of other phones with a glossy plastic finish. It's similar in feel, but um, I'm not sure. It felt a little bit, you know, it felt pretty fingerprint resistant, but I don't really know if that was just perception. It, it You know, that's definitely a very subjective thing. Um, the other thing is the display. It, it's definitely a pretty good display, in my experience. You know, it got reasonably bright under some pretty harsh lighting and it remained readable, but I noticed right away, you know, like the Lollipop quick settings is a single flat color, right? But every single time I looked at it on the G-Flex 2, there is sort of a noticeable texture to it. It almost looked like Murrah or something from the Galaxy Nexus, right? And that's, that's something I definitely haven't seen in AMOLED before. Uh, but on the bright side, I guess, they, they did fix sort of the purple smear, smearing ghosting effects that we get on a lot of the Galaxy phones, which, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure what causes that either. Um, no one, no one's really, you know, given us a conclusive answer. We've never really been able to find one because we can't exactly tear apart a display like that.
0: <laughs> the One, one, one thing just comes to mind from, The beginning of the week. I mean, Ryan, you're at the NVIDIA press conference. Ah, yes. Talk about Tegra X1.
2: Yes, the launch of Tegra X1. So this is, uh, NVIDIA's next generation Tegra chip. Uh, if you know the roadmaps well, this is the, uh, chip formerly known as Arista. And it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting change for NVIDIA. Cars! Yes, cars. (laughs) So, go back a little bit roadmap. Originally, the follow up to, uh, Tegra K1 was a chip supposed to be called Parker. Uh, Denver, CPU, Maxwell GPU on TSMC 16 nanometer FinFET uh, process. Well, 16 nanometer FinFET isn't here right now. Hopefully that'll be the case later this year. So, presumably due to this, Nvidia inserted a wrist under the roadmap last year. And so what we got was a uh, relatively quick time to market design uh, to serve as a uh, new Tegra. So what Nvidia has done is they've taken an off-the-shelf uh, Combination of ARM uh, Cortex A57 and A53 cores, and use that as the CPU, and then pair that up with a Maxwell GPU on TSMC's 20 nanometer process. Now the CPUs, uh, well, they're, they're standard ARM uh, 64-bit CPUs for the most part. Uh, the uh, move away from Denver was unexpected. However, NVIDIA tells us we will be seeing Denver again. Meanwhile, the GPU was really going to be the more interesting story here, since that's the unique NVIDIA aspect. Uh, we've already seen Maxwell on the desktop. Even though Maxwell was a mobile-first design, it, uh, the long dev cycles of, uh, mobile parts means we saw it on the desktop first. And we've seen just how much, uh, optimization NVIDIA was able to put into it. Uh, the desktop uh, GeForce 900 series, uh, performance to power consumption ratio, Far in excess of the earlier generation parts, and so that uh, s- that that degree of same benefit should feed down into mobile.
0: Um, the x one was how many SMXS?
2: It was two uh, Maxwell SMXS, so two hundred fifty-six of their CUDA cores, uh, sixteen ROPs,
3: eight texture units.
2: Did
0: d- did they say any TDP for the overall
3: chip? Um, Oh, so so speaking to TDP actually. St- You know, it's tough to sort of say what TDP an SOC is at this point because there's just so much dynamic range, right? It, it, you know, you can, you can definitely have something that's a 5 watt tablet part, you know, 3 to 5 watts, but you can also have, you know, maybe 10 watts as a TDP, as, you know, we saw in the Jetson TK1, which has, you know, a pretty sizable heatsink on that board. So it's really just a question of how you're setting up its software and sort of once you have that target TDP, the you know, the kernel level drivers sort of take care of the rest.
0: Sure, sure. And um
3: again, all 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 the
0: demonstrations at the press event were yeah. In yes. car based. In-car entertainment is becoming a big thing for Nvidia.
2: Yes, they were, and for a couple of different reasons. I think quickly just talking about the X1 itself. The impression I get, X1 is not as far along in its development as K1 was at this point last year. Last year, NVIDIA was able to show off K1 design wins. X1 is probably a month or two behind, if I had to guess. So they've got parts back. You know, we've seen it running at full speed. But NVIDIA is not close enough to be able to start showing off design wins. So instead, what NVIDIA is focusing on is part of the broader strategy to uh, branch out and get beyond just being a chip supplier and that is their new Drive PX and CX systems. Basically, NVIDIA wants to get into the automotive space and provide complete turnkey solutions. Not just the chip, but the supporting hardware and the software to go with it. So there are two uh, of these Drive components. The first is the Drive CX, which is basically onboard visualization solution. Infotainment, uh, cockpits, uh, basically any time you want to draw something the graphics part of Tegra X1. And so this is a complete system, you know, basically a small Tegra X1 computer that you'd place somewhere inside the automobile. And then it can drive up to what's currently three displays. NVIDIA provides a bunch of software for it. Uh, Their big demo for it uh, was showing a virtual 3D cockpit and some uh, new twists on navigation. Really, since it's a graphics system, it's up to car manufacturers what they want to do with this. I mean whatever they want to draw they can do with it. But NVIDIA wants to uh break into that space and Drive CX is how they're going to do it. And then probably the more interesting announcement was Drive PX. And this is uh basically NVIDIA's take on Jeep G- on a SOC GPUs for uh car compute purposes. So what Drive PX is, is basically NVIDIA's uh Attempt to enter the car autopilot market. Drive PX is a uh, dual Tegra X1 solution, so two Tegra X1s on a single board that is designed primarily for computer visual application, or computer vision applications. So it has twelve camera hookups. Each camera can do uh, up to 1080p60, and the idea is that you use all the cameras to to map out the world around you for various things. Uh, Auto navigation, uh, parking assist, uh, lane warnings, basically all of those advanced features that have been showing up in uh, the most recent high-end automobiles where the car has some degree of autonomy. NVIDIA wants to push it past that and their solution to do so throw processing power at it, throw lots of cameras at it, and throw some very good software at it. So again, like Drive CX, this is a more or less complete solution. NVIDIA provides the hardware, but they're also providing a full suite of software to go with it. Operating systems, computer vision runtimes, etc. And they already have <clears throat> their own software up and running on this. they have showing uh, demos during the press events, uh, basically feeding a DRIVE PX system uh, video they took driving around uh, Las Vegas. So it was showing us how it was able to identify various cars, passengers, etc., so all of this is very cutting edge, both in the sense that computer vision like this hasn't been done, uh, hasn't been done to excess before, but also because it's very raw. Anything you see here is is, is literally still in development. Nvidia won't have final versions of the software ready until 2016, and so to implement it in a car would be even farther off, and another year or two for that. But Nvidia will have to keep Working on the software, keep working on the hardware, but they're basically building the foundation for where they need to be five years from now, ten years from now, to compete in the uh, car autopilot systems.
0: Sure, and uh, in in terms of this business being lucrative for Nvidia on the financial side, I mean I had some pretty impressive figures from growth.
5: Yeah, um, the last couple of quarters they've consistently grown, you know, high double digits on the Tegra. Uh, automotive it's almost entirely been driven on automotive their growth in Tegres. so uh they obviously see it as uh as a future market where there's a lot to go with uh it looks like they've partnered with Audi as their one of their prime uh car manufacturers uh they had a demo of an Audi TT with the virtual cockpit um and yeah as like like Ryan said the the graphics are certainly a lot higher than anything you're used to in any sort of car infotainment system that you've seen previously. Uh, the mapping is all, you know, beautiful 3D views and, uh, yeah, incredibly smooth. It had Android Auto built in as part of the screen. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it was pretty impressive.
0: You also sat in the Shelby all-electric vehicle. Yeah, I
5: think they had an all-electric half-million-dollar Shelby. Uh, it was built by another company, but Shelby built the chassis and, and uh yeah, had full Nvidia on the interior, so uh it was pretty
0: cool uh huge screens um unfortunately, we couldn't run three d Mark or anything, yeah,
5: we tried to run Sunspider, but the web wasn't hooked up uh thought we'd maybe get a quick benchmark in while we could no the uh, one of the cool things though, was the uh they had a demo of the of the reversing um you know lots of cars have a camera in the back, help you reverse, but of course. With 12 camera hookups, they can have a complete virtual uh surrounding and you can watch the screen. And I don't know if I would recommend watching the screen while you back up, but lots of people don't look backwards at all. So maybe this is better. You can see your car and everything around it in a virtual setting. So it isn't actually your car, it's a rendering of your car. So it could could prove safety. I mean, the car will probably be able to tell if there's a bike behind you and stop you automatically. So this autonomous car thing. It's, uh, it's getting pretty large.
1: It's sort of interesting, like, as, as a long time computer enthusiast, like, you walk by the NVIDIA booth at the CES, and it was all cars. Like, there was literally nothing else but Drive CX, Drive PX, and the Tegra X1 stuff. Yeah, no, no GeForce, no Quadro, no Tesla. No Shield. That? Last year it was all about Shield. the Shield mm-hmm. tablet and, and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, so welcome to the new Nvidia, I guess. Oh, okay. No, actually, there there is something else that Nvidia did launch during the show, which was kind of this this stealth launch. So they they launched GTX nine sixty five M. It's basically just a further cut down version of GM two hundred four. But interestingly, like they literally told us nothing about it. I found out, I found out about it at MSI's um, suite when they. Said, "Oh, yeah, that launches on Tuesday, but you can't talk about it yet." <laughs> so, I it's still. I mean, Nvidia just launched 980M or the GTX 980 series a few months ago, so they didn't really want to rehash that. So, cars. Yeah, it
2: makes sense. Their consumer electronics show. I mean, it, it is by its very nature supposed to be very consumer focused. So,
1: Nvidia is going for things that they can directly show off to publics. I just look forward to the day when I can tell my car to take me to my brother's house and not have to drive myself. I like the I might that. I might die before that happens.
0: Or, or 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 for falling out of the uh pub and saying send me home <laughs> Yeah, that's <laughs> Ian, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Designated driver.
0: <laughs> yeah, make the car a designated driver. That'd be that'd be great. So uh that kind of wraps up. Our, our CES 2015 podcast. Uh, what what time is it? It's it's like 1 a.m. Yeah, it's 1 a.m. So we're all yawning, we're all tired, we're all going to go to bed. And just one final thing from you guys: um, Has there been anything particular CES 2015 that's been your one key memory from the show? Well, I guess you know, like on a
3: completely random note, there's like this really cute dog <laughs> at, at like one of the booths. But um, no, I guess more seriously. Uh, I definitely think, you know, sort of, we've been seeing wearables, and it, it's kind of interesting to start seeing sort of eyewear that it is much more functional than sort of Google Glass, um, you know, sort of, it's definitely not there yet, right? It's still very much a, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb, right? Everyone's going to ask you what you're wearing, and everyone's going to say, no, you can't record me, but it's nice to see that, there's still progress being made in this area, oh cool.
1: Jared I mean the oculus demo was really cool to see the updates It's gotten better the the VR audio is definitely immersive I mean it's nothing that hasn't been done before in terms of of audio, but to combine that with oculus was that was an amazing experience my only my only issue with oculus is like your your eyes can feel a little claustrophobic with that thing on, so like if you were trying to play a game for you know, an hour straight, that, that might be a little bit much to ask, but it's, it's a really cool demo, and it'll be really exciting to see where that goes over the coming years. Um, gimmicky or not, it's, it's awesome looking.
0: Cool. Brandon?
4: Um, you know, one of the things, this is kind of a small thing, and I, I didn't expect to see it. The day before, um, I arrived, I was talking with someone who asked about 20 hz displays in mobile, and I'm like, no, I don't think that's gonna happen, you know, there's obviously increased power consumption, no one's really asking for it. And then the next day, uh, when we went to MediaTek's uh, event, they had a demo of it, and it's, we did a, we did a slow-mo video of it just so you could see that, you know, there's, there's like a significant increase in frames, and obviously, that's not as noticeable when you're just viewing it yourself. But what is very noticeable is that there's significantly reduced motion blur like when scrolling. So I think that's going to be something interesting to see if that shows up in future mobile devices or if that just kind of ends up going into the tech demo land of things that never come to be. So we'll see that, I guess. Uh, we'll see what happens with that in the future.
0: Sure, MWC yeah. maybe in a few months. Ryan?
2: All right, so two things, I guess. The thing that probably most surprised me, and I apologize in advance. I do not know the name of this company. As I was walking through the South Hall to one of my meetings, a company was showing off a, a technology, a coding, I guess, they had to make uh, electronics that were waterproof. As in, we're talking... Oh, I at, saw that. As in, we're talking circuit boards in a tank of water that have are plugged in and everything. Was and that that TV? The TV. The TV we, we saw, saw the we TV
0: saw on well.
3: the way to...
2: Yeah, Motorola's mm-hmm. actually done that on phones before. Uh,
3: they have the nano coating, but it doesn't really make it waterproof. No, th- this was
2: this is like this a
4: TV e- in a tank. Like, yeah e- this was
2: complete. This was completely waterproof. Like, you know, a, a full uh SOC board. Uh, a bare, yeah, bare board. Yeah, no, bare board just chips on it. Cables coming out, and everything in a tank of water running. So that I, I honestly don't know if anything like this has been done before or not. But visually, is extremely impressive. <laughs> Larger scale, I think working off what Josh said, you know, wearables and IoT were big at CES this year. Uh, we're still very early into the development process. Right now, right, manufacturers are at the stage where they have the technology and they aren't really sure what to do with it. Marvel, ARMS Partners, etc., they're all floating around various ideas. A lot of these ideas aren't going to pan out, but, you know, that's the case when it's early technology, but expect to see a lot more out of IoT and wearables over the coming years as these companies figure out what they want to do with it.
5: Brett? Uh, for me, it would probably be the Dell XPS 13. Uh, it was pretty stunning to see it the first time. It just You've been wanting thinner bezels on laptops forever, and uh, they didn't just make them thinner. They basically got rid of them altogether. So it was, it's a great-looking laptop, and I can't wait to see it. The only
1: issue is it's still got that bottom bezel. Right.
5: Well, and the bottom bezel has all the drivers, of course, for the display, so it's necessary, and that's where they decided to stick the front-facing camera, so...
1: Oh, it's, that's interesting. Yeah,
5: it's actually at the bottom of the display, so... um I, I'm not sure how that's going to work out for them, but uh I, you have to put it somewhere. So, d- definitely the
0: Dell. What about you, Ian? For, from my perspective, I mean... I mean, CES, the Broadwell U, was the big thing. Intel's Broadwell U launch, and then... One of the first me, one of the first press events was the Asus Zenfone. I mean, a 5.5 inch full HD dual SIM phone um, with four gigs of DRAM for two hundred dollars off contract. That that was a really really big thing. And then I I, I have to point to the Lenovo Levy. That 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 device was so light. You you'd pick up your bag and you wouldn't feel it. It's crazy and. I guess I didn't really think about lightness necessarily in laptops that much before, because I carry it around a Zen book, right? So. And the
5: problem we had at Lenovo was that we started with the Levy, and then they showed us some, uh, ThinkPads, and some yoga 3s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's... Instantly everything feels like it weighs 100
0: pounds. Yeah, yeah, so, um, yeah. The the, the Levy to end your day, not to start it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, gotta start, you gotta end there. Yeah. So um, this has been our show at CES 2015. Um, we're all going to go head to bed um,
3: before we fly home tomorrow. Hope you've enjoyed it, and uh, we'll catch you next time.